Good. Thank you, Kirkwood. Good. It's good to see y'all here tonight. We're in the middle of summer, but uh, gosh, look at y'all. I'm proud of you. Thanks for being here tonight. I thought it might be me and Debbie and two or three others that are here. Kirkwood said something in his prayer, made me think, said a couple of things in his prayer, made me think, um, thought of Proverbs chapter 29 uh, where it says, when the righteous increase, the people rejoice, but when uh, a wicked man rules, people groan. And you're gonna, I'm going to talk about um, a man who was president, perhaps during the most critical moment in the life of our nation in just, just a few minutes, but take your Bibles and go on over to Matthew chapter 7, and I'll catch up there with you in a minute. He also prayed about our baptizing. Uh, Deb and I talked to a young lady who was in uh, the office this afternoon that has come to the Lord in the church. Uh, I think a young lady in her 20s and um, Miss um, Whitney has worked with her. Is Whitney in here? Uh, you in here, Whitney? Whitney, I need to thank her. Whitney has worked with her so carefully. And is it, the, is it Blake that owns the gym? Blake, she's, she's talked to him, and I asked her, I was quizzing her about her salvation. She said, one Sunday you prayed, and I prayed that prayer right behind you. So you wonder why I do that. This girl grew up uh, in the Catholic Church and went all the way through Catholic school. Um, now is coming, and I'm going to baptize her Sunday morning. I'm going to baptize another, four, I'm going to baptize a teenager Sunday morning that Debbie and I went to visit and who has made a profession of faith. Now, uh, Matthew chapter 7, Jesus comes to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and as he does, he comes to, he comes to talk about a couple of things. He puts these things in pair, a pair of gates, a pair of paths, or a pair of roads, and then he's going to come down and he's going to talk about a pair of foundations, two different foundations. In between that, Jesus talks, gives two warnings. Uh, the two warnings are about, verse 15, false prophets, and then in verse 21, a false profession. Uh, in verse 21, that's where I'm going to zero in. Uh, verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. How is a man saved? How is a person saved? Uh, talked to this young lady and wanted to know her salvation experience. Well, Paul comes and very clearly he gives you um, a way uh, to express it in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, when he says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth, he confesses, resulting in salvation. Now tonight, I'm going to come and I'm going to put that um, grid down on Abraham Lincoln. Now, I'm in a series on Abraham. We're going to pick that back up. Uh, but tonight, I thought, since we missed last Wednesday night, which was the third and was a very historic day in the life of this nation, 156 years ago, uh, last Wednesday night, 
the army of uh, Northern Virginia was in retreat. They were headed back toward the Potomac. It was flooded. They wanted to get back over into Virginia. Um, Lee had left his dead on the battlefield. Meade was almost in a state. I think Meade was just in a state of shock. I don't think he could believe he had whooped uh, Lee. And um, he was doing nothing, uh, which drove Lincoln out of his mind. He wrote Meade a letter and then decided not to make it to him, uh, which is kind of interesting. But the third day's battle was fought on July the 3rd. Gettysburg was not just a battle during a day. It was a three days battle, and there were really multiple battles that were taking place at the same time. Um, that third day, of course, Pickett's charge, uh, they, they breached the line up on uh, Seminary Ridge, but were not able to uh, sustain that. They were, had to retreat back. At the height of that battle, 400 men a minute were dying. 50,000 men were either killed, wounded, or they could never find them. Uh, perhaps the most horrible day of battle in American history. I want to read to you just what one Union officer wrote. He said, men disappeared in a boiling cloud of dust and smoke. Knapsacks, muskets, horrible fragments of human bodies were tossed high in the air. One federal soldier remembered that there came from this part of the field a strange sound that was like an agonized gasp of pain coming from hundreds of throats. It was a horrible battle. And uh, six months later, they were still burying the dead at Gettysburg. Three and a half months after the battle, July 3rd, um, 1863, November the 19th, 1863, Lincoln gave his famous Gettysburg Address. What had happened was this. The governor of Pennsylvania had to get these bodies buried. Uh, for months, literally, and I know this is unpleasant, but for months, Gettysburg just stank. It was horrible. And the, pen, the governor of Pennsylvania had to get something in there to get people there to bury. There were only 2,500 people in the vicinity of Gettysburg, the little town. And so they declared that they would make a national cemetery there. And in order to dedicate that, uh, they brought in um, Everett uh, to speak, who was the great orator of the day. And at the last minute, they invited Lincoln to come, and Lincoln wanted to go. Lincoln was sick. Uh, Mary Todd Lincoln did not want him to go. His boy was sick and in bed. They had lost two children. She wanted him to stay there at the White House with her and with the boy, but he was adamant that he was going to go to Gettysburg to speak. There was something on his heart, something on his mind that he wanted to do, and I'm going to share with you this evening what I think that was. When he went there and spoke at Gettysburg, there were still dead bodies on the field. They stood there in that crowd that day with the dead still unburied. Uh, it was beyond anything that you could ever imagine. But it was important to Lincoln. Lincoln felt like that he had to be there. 
And he wanted to go there and he wanted to dedicate not just that place, but it was almost a dedication of Lincoln himself. And as I go through this, I'll share with you what that dedication was. You're going to ask the question tonight, did the man who brought freedom to the slaves find freedom for his own soul and freedom from sin? Did the man that quoted Jesus about a house divided find a heavenly home? Did the man who quoted at Gettysburg a phrase about a new birth, did he know about the conversation between Jesus and a lawyer, another lawyer named Nicodemus, where Jesus spoke of a new birth And did that new birth have something to do with this lawyer who was there at Gettysburg? Did Abraham Lincoln come to a place where he knew Christ? Did the man who saved the union come to know personal salvation himself? I don't know that this will answer the question for you. It's been a fascinating study for me through the years And as you go out, I've got a list. There there are a couple of copies back there. I just put together a brief list of a number of books because some of you are going to come up and say, tell me what to read on Lincoln. Well, there's your list right there. That'll get you started. Uh, That's not exhaustive by any means. Well, let's look at Lincoln. First of all, he had a godly heritage. When you look at his life growing up, in 1800, there began to sweep across Uh, the middle part of this country, uh, across the prairie, uh, the Midwest, uh, revivals uh, that lasted for a number of years. Uh, 1801, there was a great revival that began to uh, sweep up through Kentucky, and it continued for a number of years. In 1806, Tom Lincoln found himself in a revival meeting where old Peter Cartwright, well, he was not old, he was young at that time, probably not, uh, but about 20 years of age. Peter Cartwright, who was the famous Methodist evangelist, yes, there used to be such a thing. The famous Methodist evangelist, Peter Cartwright, uh, was preaching. And uh, in that revival meeting, Tom Lincoln did something that we Baptists do not do. He jumped up and started a holy dance. Uh, something had got a hold of him, as Ray Stevens would say. Uh, Something happened in his life, and he got up, and just in a holy dance, he began to praise the Lord. Well, there was a little girl or a young lady that was there, and as he continued to go back to this meeting on a particular night, a young lady by the name of Nancy was in that same prayer meeting, in that revival meeting, and she jumped up, and she began to testify. Well, the two of them began to talk, and they fell in love, and lo and behold, they got married in 1806, and in 1809, they had a baby boy, and out of his um, appreciation for his dad, who was named Abraham, and out of her love for the Word of God, they named that little boy Abraham. Now, I have to be honest, he grew up there in poverty, but he grew up with a very difficult, hard dad. Tom Lincoln was, um, uh, he was a hard man. And after Lincoln's mother died, his health began to decline. 
He started to go blind, and he became very abusive to his son, Abraham Lincoln. In fact, he was so abusive that Lincoln really, when he was old enough to leave, left and broke off all relationship with his father. However, later in life, uh, Lincoln names one of his boys Thomas, which gives you an indication that he probably realized that he should not have broken that relationship with his dad, regardless of how his dad treated him. They said about old Tom Lincoln, uh, and by the way, he was primitive Baptist. They said that Tom Lincoln could out-Calvin Calvin. He was as hard uh, a Calvinist as there ever was and was a primitive Baptist and believed in church and believed in the Word. Now, the one who made the greatest influence on Abraham's life was his mother. He dearly loved his mother. And when she died, Nancy, by the way, she was Nancy Hanks, and Nancy Hanks was born not but about 12 miles from where Deb and I were born over in Abbeville, South Carolina. There's an interesting story about her, but I'm not even going to tell it, that the Hanks family tells over there. Um, oh, I, no, I won't. Uh, it's too salacious. It's, but, oh, it's fascinating, though. Um, I got to get it out. Get it out your head. Get it out your head. Uh, he loved his mom. His mom had tremendous impact on his life, and she was committed to the Word of God. She was constantly reading to him the Word of God. She was constantly talking to him uh, about uh, the things of God's Word. His dad lived with this overwhelming sense of destiny. When Tom Lincoln was seven years old, he was out in the field with his dad, Abraham. His dad was named Abraham. He was out in the field with his dad, Abraham, and the Indians came out, shot, and killed his dad right in front of him. The Indians started running for Tom Lincoln to take him. Uh, they were going to capture him and take him off, which is what the Indians would do. Uh, but his brother Mordecai had gotten a gun and shot and killed the Indian and rescued his brother. From that time on, Tom Lincoln felt like God has something for me to do. Well, that something obviously was to raise, to rear um, the 16th president of the United States. And so they did. He grew up. Abraham grew up in a, in a home where his parents were, as I said, primitive Baptists, very Calvinist, um, where his parents read the Word of God, where the Word of God was honored and venerated. But now let me tell you something. A lot of people come out of homes where dad had a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and mom had a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, but that doesn't mean that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Just because your parents are saved, just because your parents go to church, just because your parents read the Word of God does not mean that you are automatically covered and that you're saved because salvation is a personal experience that you have to experience yourself. It's good to have Christian parents. We come out of two solid Christian homes, but for the both of us, just like you, you had to come to the place where you made that decision to give your life to Jesus Christ. He had a godly heritage, but the second thing was this. He had a great and deep respect for God's precepts. In his life, Lincoln would spend, if you added it all together, between 12 and 18 months in a classroom. 
That's all. You know, I, I think to myself as I read, I generally read uh, at least one Lincoln, one book on Lincoln a year, if not two. I do the same thing with, I probably read about two on Churchill a year. Uh, but in all of the reading that I've done on Lincoln, I've always found it fascinating um, and wondered, what if he had had the chance at education that I had? What in the world would he have done? Uh, this guy was self-taught. He was self-educated. He spent no more than 12 to 14 months or 18 months in a classroom of any kind. Now, in that day and time, in the classroom and out of the classroom, this book right here, which is a Bible, was the foundation for education. This was the primer for all education. Uh, the Bible was used in the school. It was used out of the school. If you were going to be educated, this right here was how you were educated. It's how you learned to read. Uh, you can go back to the old, what is it, the McGuffey, uh, re is it the McGuffey Reader? Go back to the old McGuffey Reader. I've got, um, I've got, I've got a, uh, the set of those little McGuffey Readers in, in my study either here or at the house, little, little small books, and you, you get them and they take you through the alphabet. Um, uh, uh, a, in, uh, in Adam's fall, we fall all. And they would just go, that's how they learned the alphabet. You know, it's kind of fascinating. So um, that's how he was educated. He grew up on the Word of God, and because of that, he had this great love for the Word of God. The whole of that society had what you would say is a biblical worldview. We have now in America today just a pure pagan worldview. But in that day and time, they had a worldview, a biblical worldview. Everybody knew Scripture, even if you did not believe in Christ, even if you'd never accepted Christ. Everybody understood this was sin, this was right. This is what you did, and this was wrong. Whether you adhered to it or not, you had or you grew up in a society that had a biblical worldview. That was the view and the worldview that Lincoln grew up in. Now, a lot of the historians that write, especially about Lincoln, have debated fiercely, viciously, this whole issue of religion in Lincoln's life. So let me tell you, you're, you're going to get a hold of a book somewhere and you're going to read where his law partner in Springfield said that the only time Lincoln went to church was when he went to church to make fun of what was going on. Uh, you're going to read that that same law partner, business partner, said that uh, Lincoln was an infidel, that he was an atheist, that he did not believe the Word of God. Well, not to believe the Word of God. He sure pop-quoted it an awful lot. Uh, and not to believe in the Word of God, he sure talked, uh, or not to believe in God, he sure talked about God a great deal. But you're going to find that they selectively leave out a lot of stuff in Lincoln's speeches. So let me just share with you a couple of things here about Lincoln. He said this about himself later in his life. He said, all that I am or hope to be, I owe to a godly mother. He had this to say about the Word of God. He honored the Word of God. He used the Word of God just... I started to bring in his second inaugural address uh, because it is basically called Abraham Lincoln's Sermon. Uh, 
it, it basically is a sermon that he preaches to the nation. And it is full of scripture and um, biblical symbolism. His house divided speech. You remember a house divided against itself cannot stand? Given in Springfield, Illinois on June the 6th, 1858, that's where he quotes Christ out of Matthew chapter 12, 25. Now, there are those, I was reading a little earlier today, there are those that say that that speech lost Lincoln uh, his election. Uh, he was, he was um, running against Douglas, and Douglas won that Senate seat. Well, they say that this speech, uh, the House divided speech, cost him that election. But let me tell you what that speech did. It galvanized the northern states against slavery. It was the beginning of the northern states coming together in a united opposition against slavery. Let me tell you what they called him. They called him Honest Abe. That was his reputation. It was true about his life and about his character. They say that Lincoln would even, in the middle of a court case, he was so honest that when his opponent at law would forget a point of law that Lincoln would lean over and whisper it to him. Now he did that for a reason. He said that every time he was tempted to lie, this is what he could hear. I can still hear the tone of my mother's voice say, I am the Lord thy God which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. Thou shalt not. I still hear that too in my head an awful lot. Listen to what Lincoln said about the Word of God. In regard to the great book, the Bible, I have only to say it is the greatest gift which God has ever given man. All the good from the Savior of the world is communicated to us through this book. But for this book, we could not know right from wrong. All those things desirable to man are contained in it. Now, that is a quote directly from Abraham Lincoln, and I'll tell you where it came from because I don't think I got it on that list. It came from Joe Wheeler's book, Abraham Lincoln, A Man of Faith and Courage, uh, New York, Howard Books, 2008. Let me give you what he had to say about the Lord's Day. This is kind of interesting because this took place constantly uh, in the Civil War. Uh, it was true of Robert E. Lee. It was, it was certainly true of Stonewall Jackson. Jackson just about would not, uh, if he was caught in, in a battle on Sunday, he just about wouldn't fight. Uh, Lincoln was the same way. When McDowell wanted to march the Union Army to Falmouth on a Sunday, Lincoln wrote him and told him, said, no, use it as a day of rest and let the men worship. Lincoln had a great respect for uh, the Word of God. But now let me tell you something. We can all respect the Word of God and we can quote the Word of God, but listen to what Titus 3.5 says. He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done, but according to his mercy. At this point, all I can say about Lincoln is that he was an honest man, that he had a godly heritage, that he loved the precepts of God's Word, but I cannot say that he was saved. Many will say in that day, Lord, Lord, but we read your word. Many will say in that day, Lord, Lord, but we had parents who were saved. Many will say in that day, Lord, Lord. Listen, Jesus makes it clear, unless there is a personal relationship with him, you're not saved. Let me give you the third thing. 
He had a deep belief in the providence of God. Um, I can't imagine Lincoln being much of anything other than a lawyer, and it was not by happenstance. Lincoln did not believe that it was by chance that he went into law. He was in a store looking for something to read. Lincoln was constantly looking for something to read. And uh, there was a barrel in the store full of books. People would, you know, that was the library of that day. You'd go into the General Mercantile store, there would be a barrel there and people, there were books in it. You'd take a book and read it and bring the book back. Well, he was fishing down into that barrel one day and he pulled out Blackstone's Law Dictionary. Uh, And then he reached back in and he pulled out another of Blackstone's law books. Now, Blackstone was this very famous British legal mind who wrote tomes of British law. Well, Lincoln got that, was able to read it. That's the amazing thing. This was the kind of mind the guy had. He took those with him and he read through all of Blackstone's law books and decided that God had led him to pick those out of that barrel because he wanted then at that point to go into law. So, of course, he went into law, became a lawyer, became quite a famous lawyer. But he believed it was all by the providence of God. He believed something else was by the providence of God. The single greatest um, achievement of Lincoln in his presidency Uh, happened on January the 1st, 1863. Now, remember, and you have to remember, nobody had cell phones and automobiles at that time. Prior to that, on September the 17th, 1862, the most horrific battle that had been fought in the Civil War was fought at that time at a place called Antietam. Now, you're not familiar with that because you're all good Southerners. We call it Sharpsburg. Uh, The Yankees call it Antietam. Um, they fought that battle there, and it was horrific. 22,000 men killed or wounded or missing in that day. We don't, um, we can't appreciate what the nation went through. These were horrid, horrid battles where thousands of men were slaughtered. Um, And if they did not die, they were the living dead basically. Uh, After Antietam, word gets back uh, of the victory that was there for the Union to Lincoln. And Lincoln assembles his cabinet together on that day. And as he pulls them together, he pulls something out of that stove uh, pipe hat of his. And what he pulled out was a document known as the Emancipation Proclamation. And this is what he told his cabinet. Now, imagine a president of the United States speaking to his cabinet in this way. Listen to what he says. I made a solemn vow before God. Now, that sounds odd for an atheist, doesn't it? I made a solemn vow before God that if General Lee was driven back from Pennsylvania, and that's what he's referring, he's really referring to Antietam, I would crown the result of that by the declaration of freedom for the slaves. Now, a lot of revisionists leave that out of Lincoln's speech. They leave it out of the writings. They leave out his statements on prayer. They leave out a great deal uh, of uh, what he said that was biblical. But these words were recorded that day by Gideon Wells, Secretary of the Navy, and Salmon Chase, Secretary of the Treasury. 
He believed in the providence of God. He believed in the sovereignty of God, in other words. Now, I know a lot of us here, or if not all of us here, we believe in the sovereignty of God. We believe in the providence of God. That is not enough to be saved. Well, let me take you to the fourth thing. He was a man who believed deeply in prayer. He was a man of great prayer. When he left Springfield for Washington in February of 1861, he stood on the rear platform of the train and he spoke to the crowd and he said this, I now leave not knowing whether or if I will return. For the task before me is greater than that which rested upon Washington. Without the assistance of that divine being, I cannot succeed. And with the assistance, I cannot fail. I hope you will pray for me. During the darkest days of the Civil War, Dr. Phineas um, Gurley, pastor of the New York Avenue Presbyterian Church in Washington, D.C., used to be called to the White House frequently. Lincoln would call him, and he said, I had been driven many times to my, by my knees, uh, to my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. My own wisdom and all about me seemed insufficient for the day I turned to the Lord in prayer. In the crucial year of 1863, 1863 was, a, was the turning year, but it was an incredibly bloody year for the, of the Civil War. He said in that year, he issued a call for the nation to come uh, to the Lord in prayer. Now, can you imagine the president doing that today? Can you imagine how many people would just lose their mind if the president called the nation to pray? Listen to what Lincoln said. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue on our part. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace. My Lord, he should have been a preacher. Too proud to pray to God that made us. Now, this is the president of the United States. It behooves us then to humble ourselves, to confess our national sin, and to pray for clemency and forgiveness. You've all heard the story. Someone came to Lincoln at some point and said, do you believe that God is on our side? Lincoln looked at him and responded, I'm not concerned about God being on my side. I'm concerned about being on God's side because he's always right. He was a man of prayer. He was very public about it. But did that make him a Christian? A lot of people call out in prayer, but... Is that a sign that you're saved? Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Because you pray, it doesn't mean you've experienced the new birth. Christ went to Calvary by means of Gethsemane. If there's anybody that you could say suffered as a man, Lincoln suffered as a man. Not anything in comparison to Christ. I'm not making that comparison. I'm comparing him, really, to any of the other presidents 
By the way, there's a brand new book out. I bought it last night, and I, I, I've read the first chapter of it. It's called The Presidents. It, it's all of these uh, noted historians like uh, Doris Kearns and uh, Ron Chernow and um, guys like that who have gone through and they have ranked the presidents, uh, one through 45, I think, is what they've done. They've done through, they've done through President Obama. That's, that's as far as, well, you know, the, all that's left is President Trump. But they did down through President Obama, the number one voted by historians to be the greatest president of all was Lincoln. Um, number two was Washington. Uh, the top ten are pretty fascinating. It's pretty interesting just, just to see that. Here's this, here's this man, but if any of the, all the presidents that you look at that suffered, this guy suffered um, unbelievably. He had, in a sense, his own Gethsemanes to go through. When Union generals would report to him the awful loss of life, it was said that Lincoln would walk the floors of the White House just weeping. He and Mary lost two sons. Eddie died back in Springfield, and then Willie died at 12 years of age while uh, Lincoln was president. They said that Lincoln stood by Willie's bed, said he would sit at the foot of the bed day and night, and he would not leave. The boy was sick and eventually died, and when he died... Lincoln said this, my poor boy, he was too good for this earth. God has taken him home. I know that he's in a much better place, but then we did love him so much. Uh, there were those regular, and by the way, Mary Lincoln never recovered after that. She, she never made any kind of a recovery. Um, uh, it, it was tragic, it's tragic what uh, happened in their marriage and in their home and in their family. There were regular visitors. Uh, there were visitors that were in the White House that recounted this event, uh, that they saw the president sitting in a chair beside the fireplace uh, late one evening. And they said that his uh, head was in his hands, his face was down in his hands, and they could hear him praying. And all they could hear him praying was this, Oh, God, help me. I cannot lead these people without your help. They said that they got back up the next morning uh, on their way back to where they had come from. They passed that room, and Lincoln was still sitting in the same position, and they could hear him praying this time, let this cup pass from me. Henry Ward Beecher was the most prominent preacher of that day, and he was awakened one night by a knock at the door. He opened the door. He looked out into the drawn, hollow face of a very tall man, so gripped by grief that Beecher could not recognize who it was. He invited the man into the house. He said it was only after he asked him into the house, and when he began to speak, did he realize that this was the president. And the president said, I don't think I'll ever be happy again. He was a man of prayer, but prayer doesn't mean that you're saved. Did Lincoln experience a salvation moment with Christ? Gettysburg, November 19th, 1863. You know the story. Lincoln wrote a friend in Springfield shortly before he delivered the Gettysburg Address. Historians have overlooked it, but he wrote these words. When I left Springfield, I was not a Christian. When I came to Gettysburg, I was not a Christian. 
But there at Gettysburg, I consecrated my life to Christ. That comes out of the book, Abraham Lincoln, His Life and Faith by Frederick Owen. It was uh, copied in Moody Monthly Book Review, June 1977, uh, in an article entitled, A Heart That Yearned for God. When I left Springfield, I was not a Christian. When I came to Gettysburg, I was not a Christian. But there at Gettysburg, I consecrated my life to Christ. This was on Lincoln's mind, I believe. Lincoln, because he was uneducated, um, took great pains at writing anything. He would write a draft, and then he would rewrite it with another draft, and he would rewrite it. He would send it out. He would have people look at it. And I think a lot of it had to do with the uncertainty uh, because of his lack of education. But anything you read that Lincoln wrote is absolutely beautiful. But it just didn't happen that way. He wrote and he rewrote and he rewrote. And that's what happened with the Gettysburg Address. No, he did not write it on an envelope on the train going up there. Um, I am convinced that he had worked on it. He had a month before he was invited a month before that November date, date, and I think he wrote it and rewrote it and worked on it. And I think all this time you can sense something's going on. I listened to a lecture today by a lady, I can't remember her name, a historian, uh, who stated that in the, at the very beginning of the Gettysburg Address, when Lincoln said four score and seven years ago that he was tipping everybody off that this had a biblical context to it. Many of the papers of that day left that phrase out and simply wrote 87 years ago. But Lincoln used that specifically. I just went through that whole thing of how specific he was in choosing his words. She said that he did that purposefully to tip everybody off that what was taking place here was something very spiritual. Something was happening in his life. Something did happen in his life. What most uh, people say is this, what most historians will point back to and say, but he never joined a church. Well, 77% of the people in Abraham Lincoln's day in, uh, in America were not members of a church. But I want you to listen to the pastor of the New York Avenue Presbyterian Church. A letter was discovered in recent years in the church archives. Lincoln shared that because the churches had been so divided between the North and South, and that's how the Southern Baptist Convention was birthed, by the way, he thought it was best not to join a church. He felt like that he would be showing a partiality in, that, in doing that. But now listen to what he said. But on April the 13th, Tuesday, he wrote, This coming Sunday... Easter Sunday, April 18th, 1865, I will confess my faith in Christ on the forthcoming Lord's Day. I would like to make public my commitment. Now, just listen to the dates. He wrote that on Tuesday, April the 13th. He said, on this coming Sunday, April the 18th, I'm going to come and publicly. I'm sorry, that was on a Thursday, not a Tuesday. I'm going to come and publicly make a profession of faith. That was on that Thursday that he wrote that. April the 14th was a Friday, 1865. Mary Todd Lincoln is restless. She wants to get out of the White House. She wants to go to a play. And so they get tickets 
and they are going to sit in the president's box. They invite Ulysses S. Grant and his wife, but Ulysses S. Grant's wife can't stand Mary Todd Lincoln. And she said to the general, now can you imagine commanding 100,000 troops, 100,000 troops, and as one little woman says, do you know I'm not going to do it? I'm not going with the president tonight. And United and U.S. Grant says, okay. <laughs> and so they get uh, another, they get somebody else and they go. It's a captain, I can't remember. Anyway, they go. He's wounded, by the way, that evening as well, that captain is. Uh, they go. And, of course, they sit into that presidential box. Now, what I'm going to share with you I'm going to share, and it comes out of um, Peter Marshall and David Manuel's book, uh, The Glory of America. Uh, I have heard that it was the conversation in the, cha- in the, in the, not the chariot, in the um, wagon that they uh, rode in that day. I, I, I've heard that it took place there. Um, these authors say, these historians say, it took place in the president's box while the play was going on. So listen to the conversation that took place uh, as uh, Mary Lincoln had left uh, this account of it. And he leaned over. In the middle of the play, he was a little restless. And he leans over to her, and he said to her, Mary, do you know the one thing I would like most to do? I'd like to take you on a trip with me to the Near East and we could go and visit Bethlehem where he was born. Directly behind him, the door opens and into that president's booth steps a man named John Wilkes Booth. The president leans back over and whispers again to her, we could go to Nazareth and to Bethany. Booth has both a pistol and a knife. The pistol he raises and aims at the back of the head of the president as he leans back again to say to Mary Todd Lincoln, we could go to Jerusalem. And with that, a shot is fired. The president is hit. And within hours, he will be dead. What a thought. Did he go to heaven? Was he saved? The interesting thing to me is this, is that three days prior to that Sunday, he said, I'll make a decision this coming Lord's Day on Easter. You can be raised by Christian parents and never know Jesus Christ. You can have a great respect for the Word of God and believe in the providence and sovereignty of God. You can know and quote the Word of God. But until you come to that place where you call out as a sinner in forgiveness and receive that free gift of eternal life by his grace and his mercy and his love. 
you're not saved. And if Lincoln says anything to us in these, in these days, it's this. Do not delay the decision that needs to be made. He writes on a Thursday, I'll join church on this Sunday. I can't tell you that through my years of pastoring, the number of times I've had people say things like that to me. I will make a decision on this Sunday. I will pray about it. I will think about it. We will talk about it. And we will decide, but maybe this Sunday. And before Sunday gets here, you've already gone out into eternity.